The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. You can also listen to me as the host of The Social Workers on WCDB-FM 90.90, Albany, New York. And that's also on the net at WCDBFM.com. A bipolar diagnosis, which is what we're going to be talking about today on the show, can be a very scary thing to hear. Uh, bipolar, as most of you know, has been the focus of attention in recent years, uh, recent days, and recent weeks, especially with film stars like Catherine Zeta-Jones, who is the wife of Michael Douglas. She came out, came out with her bipolar diagnosis. But there are many myths surrounding bipolar disorder, and in terms of the definition, what it is, what it means, and how it's treated. So joining us this morning is a very special guest, Wendy Williamson. Wendy is the author of I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar. She graduated from Virginia Tech with a degree in hotel management, spent 10 years in corporate America, was downsized, and then started on her writing career. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you so much, Catherine. And another thing, Wendy, you are director uh, on the board of mental health uh, of the mental health board at uh, Monmouth County in New Jersey and obviously an advocate for the mentally ill. So I'm not crazy, just bipolar is your story. Um, there are, as I said before, Wendy, there are a lot of myths surrounding bipolar disorder, including the definition. So I think for our listeners, let's start there. What's the definition of bipolar disorder? Well, bipolar disorder is an illness that is marked by um, mania and depression in varying um, degrees and intervals. And, um, you know, mania is, you know, um, you know marked by um, typically increased physical energy, racing thoughts, rapid speech, um, impulsivity in various, you know, ways, and also um, decreased need for sleep. And then, of course, people are more familiar with depression. But it can be, in the extreme sense, um, you know, hopelessness and leading to thoughts of and or um, trying to act out suicide. So very serious on, on either end. So in terms of behavior, Wendy, you're going back and forth from these very high lows, very high, low, very high highs and very low lows. And as you said, manifested in a lot of different ways, I guess. I mean, you can be very high. You can be spending a lot of money. You can buy a lot of clothes. You can be gambling. You can be doing all sorts of things. Uh, feeling euphoric and feeling um, j- just interested and, and full, euphoric, I guess is the word, full of energy. Yes, that's, exactly that's the right. And then the low is depression, as you say, which can, what, you could be sleeping all the time, you can be unable to uh, have a relationship with your family, friends. I mean, I'm trying to put this in behavioral terms so people can of understand. Of course. I mean, you don't feel like, you know, leaving the house. You have just a complete depletion of energy, prolonged sadness, you just, you feel hopeless, you know, you, you're constantly worrying and anxiety. I, I never had 
an anxiety attack until I was in my most severe depression. And I would just, you know, I would just, you know, get panicked and, and just have these, you know, complete thoughts of gloom and doom. I mean, I was worrying about, like, being older and what am I going to eat and how am I going to be retired if I don't even have a real good career right now. I mean, I was just freaking out about everything. So, you know, it can be very scary. Uh, obviously, there's, uh, you know, I, I went online and I was looking at the uh, Mayo Clinic definition because there's another piece to what we're talking about. They, 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 they call it a disruptive long-term condition, and uh, but there is hope because you can keep your moods in check by following a, a treatment plan, which is what we're going to talk about: medication, psychological counseling, psychotherapy. And I want to get into uh, to your personal story, but. Maybe first, let's. What are some of the myths surrounding bipolar disorder? I mean, we described. You just gave a definition of it in terms of yourself, and then, uh, you know, specifically the hospital definition. But one of the myths is that uh, bipolar disorder means I'm really crazy, which of course is what your book about. Does it mean you're crazy? No, and and it's funny because that's why I you know chose that title because it, there's so many um, you know stigmas you know, that people come up with for mental illness in general and certainly bipolar disorder. You know, the the big myth is that, you know, we're crazy and that, you know, and I, I suppose that's just because it's it's a mental illness. So unfortunately it's not something that's physical, which doesn't carry the quite you know, quite the same stigma. And um it's important to know, um, you know, some of the myths are that, you know, you can pull yourself out of it, you know, just you know, overcome this depression or, you know, some, you know, some people say you don't need medication or, and, and while there is a small percentage that doesn't, you know, some people think you really don't and um, most of us do. And there's, you know, all kinds of things like, you know, men and women equally do suffer from this. Um, you know, it is a very large percentage of our population, 10 million Americans, um, and it's the sixth leading cause of disability in the world. So it's everywhere. It affects men and women. It's everywhere. And um, I, you know, Wendy, I just had uh, read an article about bipolar. That it was a study that was in the Amer- American Psychiatric Journal, and it mm-hmm. said that uh, men and women do suffer, I guess, equally. But for men, there's an earlier onset of bipolar, so it disrupts a lot of their social. Um, behavior when they're younger and women tend to be diagnosed later. I don't know whether they're just diagnosed later or whether or not they actually start, you know, manifesting symptoms later. But so there's a little bit of a difference in terms of I guess the age at which men and women are diagnosed. Um I would say that's a um a very good point. I haven't read that particular article, but um I certainly have, you know, heard those statistics and, you know, women and men certainly have, you know, and, and it's different for everyone, um, not even just gender, but it certainly is, you know, the age that your diagnosis is usually late teens, early 20s, um, and even though men and women are, you know, sort of split down the line numerically, you know, the age that you're diagnosed, it, it certainly depends on not only your, you know, when things are happening to you, you know, situationally, you know, like, but women tend to... Um, you know, I think we cover up a little better. I think that, I mean, nothing against men. I'm just saying, you know, women have, you know, depression. You know, we, we cover it up. We, you know, and, and I think sometimes that 
may be the reason for that. Um, Do you think we have better coping skills? I'm perhaps. I mean, I think I think with with a man, you know, I think men don't really they're not conditioned to talk about things, and I think women will sort of talk things out. And I mean, I wasn't diagnosed till I was 22, but uh, Catherine Zeta Jones, I think, much later. And I think you know, a lot of women I've heard, you know, were diagnosed much later. And maybe that's because they are more on the depressive side, and they just kind of pull themselves out of the depression. I don't know really all the reasons for that, but that's just a guess. That's a guess of mine, I guess. Well, it's a complex disorder, obviously, and I know people uh, try to equate it with a medical diso- medical disease, and it's not. They'll say, well, you, you have a mental illness, and it's just like a, 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 a physical illness. Not true. Equate it to, like, diabetes. It's a chronic disorder. But that's really not true because, uh, comp- as I say, it's a complex disorder. This is another one of the myths, and it is reflected psychologically, sociologically and biologically. It has roots in all of those areas. So that makes it kind of very different kind of, uh, of an illness, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, some, some illnesses, you know, you sort of, I, I don't want to say acquire, but you, sort of, you know, you get, you know, in life. Like you, you would get cancer in your life, you know, and they say, most of the doctors agree, most of what I've read, that, you know, you are born with bipolar, it's a biological, it's passed on, it's genetic, and, um, you know, they say if your parent has it, there's a 50% chance one of the children has it. So it is, most doctors do agree that it is genetic. Um, is, definitely is that because there's a chemical imbalance? Is, and then Chemical imbalance, for sure, and um, they believe it's passed on, it's hereditary. So it is definitely, it's a chemical imbalance, it's a very real illness, it is, um, you know, it's it's often overlooked, but it's as real as any other illness. It's just, it's in the brain. So, you know, it has a big stigma. Wendy, if you have a predisposition to uh, to being diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder, but you have a set of circumstances that perhaps doesn't nurture that so that you may never exhibit the symptoms, or you may have a family, psychological, social situation that exacerbates it, then you do get diagnosed or you do, you do become bipolar. Is, I mean, that can be the case as well. Just because your mother or your father or someone close to you was diagnosed with bipolar disorder doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get it or have it. It doesn't necessarily mean it, no, no. It can, I, I would imagine it could skip. I mean, I certainly don't know why it couldn't. Um, and I don't know the research on um, on sort of skipping um, a generation. But I do know that if you have it, I would be completely shocked if it never, you know, manifested itself through an episode. I could not imagine someone going their whole life and never knowing it because at some point or another, even if you have bipolar 2, and there is a difference between 1 and 2, but even if you have bipolar 2, you will have a manic episode. Now, a bipolar manic 2 episode, is something, uh, Wendy, bipolar 2, uh, is just to be clear about this, is not as serious or is not as... It's, yeah, it's not as severe, and it is marked by more depressive episodes um, than manic episodes. That is what Catherine Zeta-Jones has. She has bipolar 2. Mm-hmm. I have bipolar 1, and um, bipolar 2, in order to qualify and classify as bipolar um, and bipolar 2, you have to have had at least one manic episode, but it's characterized by more depressive episodes. And um, 
and that can often go under the radar longer. So then if it goes under the radar, this brings me to one of the questions and one of the myths, actually, uh, about uh, medications. Um, do you, if, if there are medications, and obviously in the past, well, since the 90s, I guess, the past at least 10 years, they've become more refined in terms of the medications that are given to those with bipolar disorder. Uh, do you have to be on medications for the rest of your life? You know, it's funny because uh, I was asked that question um, the other day, and I try not to think of that because I don't want to project for myself a, a doom and gloom future, but I do know the reality is, for me, I believe that is a yes, a yes answer, because I know this isn't going away. Um, I will have bipolar disorder until the day I die. And while I used to think that's a very depressing thought, and it certainly isn't like a cheerful thought, um, it is a manageable thought. And, you know, medication makes it a very manageable illness. Doing the right thing, like getting the right sleep, is also a major component um, of that recipe for wellness. So medication, that taking a pill doesn't scare me. And the same regimen also is not going to be um, in effect for the rest of my life. So there will be some tweaking involved. But, yeah, I, I do accept the fact that I will be on medication um, probably for the rest of my life. My and that's experience not the worst thing. Yeah, my experience is with patients who have bipolar, clients with bipolar disorder, and friends uh, uh, who suffer from it as well, that, you know, they start, they take medication and they start feeling, you know, they start feeling fine. And then they think, well, so I don't need to take this anymore. Go off the medication and then have a really, really maybe bad episode or, or two or more. Uh, that's one thing. And the young men that I know who are bipolar don't want to take medication because it does have side effects. And one of them, it affects, as I understand it, it also can affect your libido and can affect uh, in male in men, uh, impotence, impotency, so young men find it difficult or don't want to stay on the meds? Yes, I mean, two important points. The first one that I want to address is people going off their meds. And let's, let's face it, you know, people, I certainly didn't want to think that I needed a medication to get by. And, and once I felt better, you know, um, in my early 20s, I certainly had a hard time with a medication issue. And I, and I, I am not exempt from being in that, in that group where I did go off my medication once I felt better. I also had to go through that, that, you know, process of realizing I would go off my meds and then there were consequences. And I went through that several times until my mid-20s until I realized, hey, I cannot go off my medication. Bad things happen. So I think when you have consequences and you've done it and then you go through it, you realize, I can't do this. It's, like so important, but, you know, until you learn that and you kind of have to live it, I suppose, when you go off it, you have to realize that you have to put it together and, and stop going off your meds, um, and that's very important. Um, yeah, so you have to experience it, and hopefully something catastrophic doesn't happen in the process, but right. um, we're going to take a short break, Wendy. We'll be back. Okay, great. Yeah, in a few minutes, and when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking, I want to ask you specifically about your story and the book, I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar. Uh, I'm talking to Wendy Williamson, author of I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar. You're listening to Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. 
Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. Surprise you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Fox, your social worker with a microphone. If you're just joining us on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, our topic today is bipolar diagnosis, bipolar disorder, and the author Wendy Williamson, who um, suffers from bipolar disorder herself and is author of the book I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar, is here with me today. Uh, we've just been uh, talking about the definitions and the myths associated with bipolar disorder and the prevalence of it in America. Ten million people suffer from bipolar disorder. Ten million. Well, that's just the individual. But if you have ten million people suffering from bipolar, you have families, you have friends, you have coworkers who are all affected by the disease. So, Wendy, your book, I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar, is your story. Let's get into that because, as you said, uh, you were diagnosed, what, not till your 20s? Yes, I was 22. Mm-hmm. So start from the, be- I'm going to say start from the beginning of the book, but start from the beginning of the story. I mean, I, you know, um, I know you were laid off from your job, so it gave you the opportunity to write your story, um, which I guess, which is a good thing. And, um, you know, yeah. the book is, is, um, well, we always like to hear personal stories. I think that's as meaningful to most of us as the statistics and the medical information that we get from the experts. Absolutely. Well, I was I was 22. I was six weeks from graduating. I went to Virginia Tech, and I was just about to graduate. And I was um, exhibiting, you know, manic behaviors. And luckily, I was plugged in, and I had friends around me. And I had, you know, my my boss and my um, roommate, my sorority sisters, and enough people that knew my behavior was erratic, and they they knew something was wrong with me. And so, what was the behavior? You here, you are. You're in college. I assume you're getting good grades, not getting good grades. 
your roommate. Yeah, I was, I was doing, yeah, I mean, I had decent grades. I can't say that I had straight A's in college by any means. Um, so I definitely was um, a party girl. I mean, I definitely, <laughs> I don't know if, um, you know, I was in a sorority. I was, I was definitely per, a person who was out when the opportunity was there and then some. And I think that some of that is um, the self-medication part, which is, you know, drinking to excess, you know, I, and I certainly chronicle that in the book, um, that that is a part of it. Um, over 50% of bipolars also have, um, you know, a chemical dependence, or, you know. So it's very prevalent, and that is well, definitely a part of my story. Um, so that contributed. Um, so, you know, six weeks before graduation, I was pulled into the psychiatrist's office by my friends and family. Was this an intervention? Was this something that you said, no, I don't have a problem? Let's say your roommate confronted you or your family confronted you, and were you into denial? Or when they confronted you, you were willing and ready to go, yes, I have a problem? Oh, absolute denial. You know, when you're in a manic episode, everybody can see you from the outside as you really are, your behaviors, you know, your your rapid speech, your spending, your hypersexuality, your, you know, chemical abuse. I mean, I was drinking, I was smoking pot, all of that. But I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, you know, I looked horrible. And I could not see that. So when you're the person who is manic, and especially your very first time, um, without a doubt, you have no clue what's going on. You just think you are, you know, onto something, energetic, great big ideas. You know, you have no idea. Last to know, last to know. So... Yeah, I certainly fought it. I I did not go, you know, oh, this is who I am, great, you know. It's, you know, when do you need to go to the doctor? Okay, sure. I I was like, why am I here, you know. So in a way that you acquiesced, you didn't think you had a problem, but you didn't put up a big fight? You just didn't think you had a problem but said, okay, I'll go, to satisfy those around you who really cared about you. Yeah, my my old um, boss actually from my job on campus made the appointment for me at the counseling center to go to see the psychologist, school psychologist. And I went, and reluctantly, I went to kind of pacify her. And uh, meanwhile, she had called my parents, as did my roommate. My parents came down, and I think it was the next day uh, I was in the psychiatrist's office with my parents. So I couldn't get out of it. They flew down and drove down and were, you know, there to take me to the doctor. I couldn't run away. It was like, you know, <laughs> they had nowhere you. to turn. They had you where they wanted you. But oh, yeah. you and your family, Wendy, had, I mean, going back to the the predisposition to get having the diagnosis of bipolar disorder, who in your family has it or has had it? We believe my biological father may have it, although, you know, he's never told us that he's been diagnosed. His behavior leads us to believe that he could be. But um, my mom remarried when I was very young, so... We don't know his. Um, we don't know his diagnosis for sure, but we all suspect that it, he could be the one. It's not my mom, and if your parent has it, there's a fifty percent chance one of the children will will have it. So, I really think it's my biological father, in my heart. That's what I feel. And what about siblings? Do you have siblings? I have one sister. She does not have it. She as as sane as they come. So, <laughs> you know, it's all me. <laughs> you, know? you got but, it all. What's that? I got I it all, yeah. Yeah, you got it's, it all. You got it. It's so, a curse uh, and a gift, and I will always feel that way. It's a curse and a gift. Yeah. But, um, 
But if you can manage it, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's just, it's a lot of, you know, getting to that point where, you know, it takes a while to really harness it, wrangle it in, and figure out how to kind of live with it and how to, how to, how to get along with it. Well, management, that's a huge, huge piece to it. And I think one of the myths is, this is the people think, well, okay, you get the diagnosis, you admit to it, you have an intervention, then there's medication. Because we live in a society where all you need to do is be medicated and everything's going to be fine, whether it's type 2 diabetes or depression or, you know, I think antipsychotics and antidepressive medications are the biggest selling medications in this country. So here you are, you're diagnosed with bipolar disorder, just give me meds and I'll be fine. And But that's not really true because management is a huge, huge undertaking. I want you to talk about that because that can be helpful to those who are diagnosed and to their families. You, you touched on it earlier, Wendy. You said sleeping is really important. Schedule. Oh, absolutely. Let's, I mean, there's, there's a whole list of things you need to do. And the more that you do, the more suggestions you take, the more you incorporate into your life, the better off you are and the better chance you have at avoiding episodes. And I think it's inevitable that you go through, um, you know, I know I'm not immune for the rest of my life to having another episode, but they can be mild or they can be less frequent because of things that I do. And certainly medication is a component, but it is not the only thing, as you mentioned, it's a part of. So there's, so what there's a whole... What are point. the other things? Specifically? The other things are um, as important as taking my medication, you know, on time uh, is as prescribed on time and tweaking it when necessary. The other part is sleep, and it's as important as medication. I never stress this enough. Is um, I just preach about this constantly, sleep. It is the other half of my medication. Um, for bipolars, it is just critical that we get our sleep and the right amount of sleep, and pretty much at the steady time, same time, you know, if you can keep your sleep at, you know, at a regular time, you know, like keep it scheduled, you know, for about the same time, get into a pattern of regular sleep, eight to nine hours. You know, if we miss our sleep, we can get manic. And if you string enough of those days together, it can turn into a full-blown manic episode. And something um, such as getting your sleep may seem basic to other people, but to us it's critical. Um, Another thing that I, I always talk about is staying plugged into your network which is your everybody that helps you stay well, starting from your psychiatrist to anybody else that you have for counseling, which, um, you know, it could be a therapist, it could be a psychologist, it could be, uh, you know, a CADC, the Certified Alcohol and Drug Counselor, whoever it is that you need in your network to stay well and seeing them regularly and being honest. You know, you could just sit there and tell them everything's fine and dandy, but you know what? You have to be gut-wrenchingly honest and say, hey, I am not doing this. I am doing this. I need help with this. This has come up. You know, you know how it is. You, you are in the field, and you know. Yeah. Do you have to monitor yourself all the time? Because, uh, you know, you think, well, gosh, do I have to constantly be monitoring myself? Um, and that can be a struggle in and of itself. But um, that's one question. Another piece, when you talk about management, sleep, uh, plugging into your network, medication. What about food? Does that make a difference? I mean, in what kinds of foods you eat, how much you eat, how balanced it is in terms of your diet? Does that affect the bipolar disorder, your behavior? Certainly, I would say the more you um, 
more you, you know, the more healthy you eat, the more you avoid certain things, the better off you are. That's an area that I would love to explore more, working with a nutritionist. Um, I'm taking things on sort of one at a time. I, I eliminated alcohol and drugs. I um, eliminated nicotine. I'm working, I, then I worked on my weight and, and sort of how I eat is the next thing I'm going to approach because that is a very good question. I think that they suggest we limit caffeine. I certainly monitor my caffeine late in the day and in the evening because if you drink too much caffeine, as you know, you don't get tired, you know, you stay up and that can work against the sleep. So sometimes it's not just, you know, one thing, but everything is sort of related. Um, Sugar, you know, things like that. It's hard. I have a sweet tooth, but, um, you know, everything is related to mood with what you eat. So, I think the more areas you pay attention to, um, the better off you are. And that's certainly something I would like to learn more about. I think that's a good point. And I think one of the difficulties is, you know, if you're diagnosed with bipolar in your 20s, which which many or most, I guess, I'm just, um, and I don't know this statistically, are, then people in their 20s tend not to get enough sleep, not to eat well, not to manage their time well. So it's really very, it can appear to be an arduous, Task to be able to do all of this, you know, one tends to get more better at this stuff that we've been talking about as you get older. But here you are, and one is in their twenties, and they're diagnosed with bipolar, and they're, you know, you tend to eat and drink and do all of these things in excess at that age. So it's, it's kind of a double whammy there. Absolutely, I think if you took a poll of people with bipolar disorder. And how they did in their, you know, their late teens, their early 20s. And, you know, I think most people will just give you a deep breath and kind of, <laughs> you know, really tell you that they had a tough time because you you don't get it overnight. And a lot of it is for those reasons that you mentioned. You know, you have a lot you have to learn how to do. And even just growing up, regardless of a mental illness or not, you have to learn how to manage yourself. I mean, I know when I went to college, there were, there were no parents around, so I kind of just did what I wanted and... The problem is, you know, if you have, you know, if you have any kind of um, alcohol or drug problem, now you compound it with a mental illness, you know, and then, you know, it's just, it's just a recipe for disaster. And you get out of college, now you're working on, you know, compliance with your medication. But like you said, there's all those other components. You know, you have to sleep, you know, you have to, and, you know, let's face it, you know, I had my first job in New York City and it was like we would go out after work and I was not getting enough sleep. So I think the the older you get, the better you get at managing all those other areas of your life, mental illness or not, you know. Yeah, that's true. Wendy, uh, Wendy we're going to take a break, and uh, uh, don't go away because Wendy Williamson, who I'm talking to, author of I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar, we have lots more to talk about. I want to get into the issue of discrimination, discrimination at work, discrimination friends, because uh, I think that plays a big part in men- mental illness, particularly bipolar disorder. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We'll be back in a minute. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com on the Catherine Zox Show. And I'm talking to Wendy Williamson, author of I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar. So bipolar diagnosis is what we're talking about this morning. Ten million people in the United States are affected by it or diagnosed. Uh, there are many, many more who are affected by it, family, friends, coworkers. And so that brings us, Wendy, to the issue of discrimination because there is still that mental illness in itself people, there's still that, even though things have gotten much better, people tend to discriminate against those with mental illness more than they do physical illness. And if you're bipolar, I think it's even, it can be even worse. So your experience in terms of discrimination or being discriminated against, work, friends, family, has that, how has that played out for you? Well, I think for me, um, I've been lucky in the sense that I haven't been discriminated against um, too much, and I'll qualify that um, with my with my work. And I'll say I'll say that because my first two jobs um, they didn't know when I was hired, so it certainly wasn't um, you know it didn't deter them from hiring me. And the last career path that I've been on, it's I don't know, hasn't really been a, a major factor because it seems like a third of the people that I work with also have some form of mental illness and or um, substance abuse problems. So it's it's very prevalent in the restaurant industry. I've been a waitress for many years now um, since I was downsized while writing this book. And um, so I, don't, I think the industry that I've been in, it's, it's like every second or third person. Um, but when the management finds out, you know, it's funny. They definitely raise their eyebrows, you know, and... Um, try to pretend like it's okay, but you know, you know they're thinking, and it's like you wonder what they're thinking. Do they think I'm nuts now? Are they going to treat me differently? You know, um, But you're feeling that. When, you, when management finds out, you said you can feel it. You know, you get a sense, oh, now yeah. they think I'm crazy. Well, Wendy, what about health insurance? What do you do? You work for a corporation, like a big corporation, so you want to get your insurance to, to pay, although I know it doesn't pay too much for counseling and therapy and how do you do that and then keep it a secret? Or do you want to keep it a secret? Or is it important for your boss to know or not? 
I didn't keep it a secret for very long. I was a, um, a temp, and then I got hired in that company. And once I was hired, you know, um, it was a small branch of a Fortune 500 company. And I didn't, the small branch, the people I worked in the office with, I didn't really care. I didn't run up to my regional manager and certainly tell them but I wasn't hiding it from anyone I worked with in my office. And I don't think it's something to hide, but at the same time, I think depending upon your career, some people have to use discretion. I mean, some people in, you know, in, for instance, you know, it depends on, you know, it depends on what you do. I think in, in politics, law, and, and some, other, some other careers and professions, I think it would be very hard to be that honest because it could affect, you know, you know if you get, you know, if you get elected, it could affect, if you win a case, it could affect, you know, it could affect a lot of things. However, in some professions, it's great to come out because you can help other people. Yeah. So and it depends on what kind of uh, of business or profession you're in. I mean, if, absolutely. You know, I'm thinking of Catherine Zeta-Jones, that's the film industry artist. They tend to be much, obviously, much more welcoming and as opposed to maybe medical profession, um, as you, you know, you mentioned, or, or lawyers. So depending on what your work environment is. But what Absolutely. about now, for instance, your social life? You're, I, I, are you married or single? Or I am not married, and I am in in a relationship. I am not. I am. Yeah, I'm not single, and I'm not married. I am. I'm engaged, so I'm I'm doing very well. And so, in that relationship, you meet somebody. You have a diagnosis of bipolar. Do, when do you tell them? What do you, I mean? Do you... Yeah, it's always it's funny because I. I wrote that in the book. I'm not sure if I edited it back out, but I was always like, you know, when you date someone, when do you drop? And I called it the bipolar bomb because, <laughs> you know, you don't want them to head for the hills because they're like, oh, my goodness. But at the same time, I liked to tell people pretty early on because I thought if they can't handle it, you know, I don't want to fall for this person and then have them say, well, I can't handle that and then have my heart broken. You know, at the same time, I would not say it on a first date, uh, certainly not. But, you know, you know, second, third date, I, I would usually drop some kind of hint that I had some depression. I'd walk them into it. I'd be like, you know, I had some depression. I've struggled. And then I, I say the B word, you know, <laughs> several <laughs> dates down the road. I, I, You know, my mom used to always be like, well, don't scare them right away. You know, like, so I wouldn't say it, certainly not on the first date. I would not recommend it. But I, I was pretty honest because I thought if they can't handle it, I want to know, you know. So have you had anybody, not this relationship because you said you're engaged, but have you had anybody, any man say to you, uh, I'm out of here, uh, once you tell them? It's funny because um, no one has said that to me, but some people disappeared after a few dates. So um, whether or not it was me personally, whether or not it was them, whether they just weren't attracted to me, or whether it was that, I'll never know. Um, you know, I've had my suspicions sometimes that it was, you know, the mentally ill piece, but... Um, but you know, I was I was very um you know, I wasn't in a happy, cheery place for many years and I was extremely overweight. I was like two hundred and sixty pounds. So I also for a long time felt that that was a reason why um you know, why why men were you know, why I had a hard time with men. I, I was you know, I wasn't happy with my body, so you know So you were self medicating not only with drugs and alcohol but with food as well. Yeah, after after I, I was always thin growing up, but then around my late twenties, um, I put on some weight, and I think that that was 
put on a lot of weight, but I, a lot of that was medication, and I want to qualify that. Medication does not, does not always put on weight. Like certain medications do and certain medications don't. You really have to find what works for you with your doctor because I would be very resistant to medication that, you know, that I gained weight on, and I did. I gained a lot of weight. But then I found medications that worked for me that I did not gain weight on, and I exercised and did a whole bunch of other things. And I lost a lot of weight. How much do you weigh now? Can you tell us how much you weigh now? Yep, I'm just under 200, so I lost a lot of weight. Congratulations. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, You know, and I think, and and maybe this is my bias, I always feel, because I, you know, I'm, I'm older than you are, and a lot of my friends are taking medications for a lot of different kinds of things, and they gain weight, and they say it's the medication. And I'm always wondering, it could be the medication, 5 pounds, 10 pounds, even 20 pounds, but not 70 pounds. Uh, you know, give it a right. The rest of it has to do, I think, with management or control. Maybe 20 pounds, yes. Um, am I... Well, with some medications, I can agree with you and I can disagree with you. I think with some medications, but some medications for mental illness, I mean, I with one of them, I gained 30 pounds in like two and a half months. And that's no lie because I was in the hospital and so I was eating consistent food, same food, and um, one of the ones they put me on, I just blew up. And so I, I can agree with you and I can disagree with you because some medications are... Um, are really, and we all, all the bipolars know it. We know it. We know the ones that do. We know the ones that have done that to us. And, but there certainly are other things. I, I, I know now that I've been on a steady, you know, uh, set of meds for, for years now with some minor tweaking. And I would never point the finger at those for making me gain weight. Now it's what I'm eating, what I'm doing, if I'm moving, if I'm not exercising, et cetera. Can we talk yeah. about libido? Because I think that's a big issue that, oh, sure. that, that that people do not talk about. That's a taboo subject, but it's one reason, as I mentioned, I think earlier, that you know I know young men don't want to take their meds because it renders them sometimes impotent or you know really puts you know a quashes their libido. And it's it's interesting because I haven't found that many to um, have that side effect for me. Some have. And, you know, but so does depression. I mean, when you're depressed, I mean, who's, who's yeah. ever, you know, who's ever feeling in the mood when you're depressed? I mean, that's, you know, bipolar or not. It's so I think men are probably um, more worried. Like you said, they're more worried about that than women. But I say to those men or to anybody concerned about this area, there's so many medications out there. You know, we're not living in 1950 where there's lithium and then there's, you know, hardly anything else. I don't know what else there was back then besides lithium. But now there are so many medications out there. There was Haladol. You were probably, I remember working at an institute, one of those huge institutions that uh, um, would really just warehouse people with all kinds of diagnoses and put them, Haladol was this medication that just rendered you just, you know, walking around, uh, you know, very, very slowly and unable to respond to too much. It was horrific. Well, we've gone, as you say, those were the dark ages. We're done with that. There are a lot mm-hmm. of choices. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and, you know, there are so many more medications out now. Um, and it's like, I mean, I've known some bipolars that are on Haldol and, um, and some schizophrenics that are on Haldol, and it's, I think it's an antipsychotic, anti-hallucinatory. It's... Um, you know, it's still around and, and um, can be effective for some people. But, yeah, back then there were, there were not that many choices. And, you know, it's not, 
I'm very grateful that I have found some great modern medicines. You know, something new came out a couple of years ago. I never talk about what I'm on because it's different for everyone. I don't want anyone to run out because of something I'm on and try it and have it fail or, you know, change what they're doing. I, I think that whatever is working for you or not working for you, stick with it. Or if it's not working, go to your psychiatrist and work on getting a, something, you know, that does. Um, but side effects are with every medication, with any medication you could take. You know, if you have a heart condition, you're going to take a medication. There's side effects. So it's learning to choose a medication that has side effects that are manageable for you. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point. Any medication one takes, and I repeat that because the pharmaceutical companies are always trying to encourage you to take meds, they all have side effects. It doesn't matter whether it's for physical illness, mental illness, or a combination of the two. So we have to be aware of that. But as you say, there are so many different choices, and it keeps evolving. They keep refining Mm -hmm. the choices of medication. Absolutely. Uh, We're going to take one more break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and Wendy Williamson, author of I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar. We'll be back in a minute. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio, and joining me this morning has been Wendy Williamson, author of I'm Not Just Cra- I'm Not Crazy, Not Just Crazy, I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar. And uh, again, she's the director uh, on the Board of Mental Health in Monmouth County, New Jersey. And obviously, if you've been listening to the show, an advocate for the mentally ill, which is a really good thing. So, Wendy, um, let's talk about maybe, I know you want to kind of get the word out there, anybody who's listening who might uh, have a relative, uh, who has been diagnosed with bipolar or they themselves or they maybe think they have, you know, they're not sure. That's another piece of it. Who do you, let's say you, a family member 
thinks or suspects maybe their partner is uh, is bipolar. What do you do? You go to your family physician, your primary care physician. How do you get into the system? Well, I think a great place to start is to educate yourself to find out what you can. I mean, if you don't, if you're not already, let's say I'm a parent, and I think my child is. If and so many people have therapists these days. If I don't have my own therapist to to go seek out resources, um, there's many free resources, um, and you can seek them out and educate yourself. Um, if you're in a crisis situation, of course, if your child is ever exhibiting um, any signs or, or, or displaying any, um, you know, talking about anything, you know, any kind of a suicidal plan, you go right to the emergency room. Uh, you never want to take a chance. But if you're kind of in that stage where they're showing signs of you know, symptoms of depression or perhaps mania, you know, you have just a little bit of time to act. Educate yourself. Get your loved one some help. There's some great websites. Um, NAMI.org, N-A-M-I.org, has a great program for families um, and loved ones. There's a 12-week program and a 9-week program. My parents did that. So it was very helpful. That's the um, National Association of Mental Illness. Mm-hmm. And they are um, they're amazing. There's also um, DBSA, that's Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. Um, so there's, there's a lot of webs uh, websites. You can do a lot of research online. You can go to support groups. You know, you can find um, a good therapist in your area that specializes in it. That's very important. There's a ton of mental health professionals everywhere, but find one that specializes in it. You know. And, and maybe see if you can get some joint therapy. Get some for yourself, too. It's good to be strong for those around you that need you. Wendy, do you think that one can get help before you have, like, a major crisis? Because I'm thinking of a friend of mine whose son, when he was in high school, who was eventually diagnosed as bipolar, but not till, not till really in his 20s. And, but he was, she would talk to me about his behavior. And it's really, you know, teenagers, they tend, they can drink too much. They don't tell the truth. They, you know, they do things that are kind of, that tend to be manicky. And when she would describe her son's behavior, you know, drinking, hiding the drink, hiding the alcohol in the woods and, and, and lying to her and doing things, I always felt, and maybe because I'm a therapist, that it was like a one step a little bit more than what kind of the normal uh, antisocial behavior that teenage boys exhibit in high school. Um, and maybe could someone, if they were really aware, do something about it before it becomes a major manic or depressive episode? I, mean, I think I'm... it's always great to get help, but I think it's very hard to distinguish, like, you know, typical teenage behavior Um from that of somebody who's depressed or manic. It's almost like it really takes the first manic episode to get it. I mean, I think I think a lot of the signs that I exhibited and that a lot of high school students exhibit, like you said, the drinking, the sneaking around, I mean, that's that's like nearly every, every teenager. Yeah, I mean, most teenagers, you know, experiment with alcohol, and most teenagers will lie about it, you know. Um, a lot of teenagers get depressed. I mean, and a lot of teenagers, you know, you know, get a little hyper. I mean, so it's very hard to detect in high school. I'm always surprised when somebody gets diagnosed in high school. That, to me, is amazing. Um, in college, it's very, very common. Um, the average age of diagnosis is late teens to early 20s. So it does come out um, in that age group, typically. 
but in high school, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think you have to be hypersensitive to it and, you know, maybe have a really good pulse on your child and therapy and um, a lot of honesty. That's tough, though. Yeah, it, it is tough, and I think one thing that we didn't touch on because we've we've focused a lot on the manic part of the behavior, the depressive part, and that can be really scary because suicide is always an issue, always a fear. And oh, uh, certainly, certainly. Yeah. And I was very, I had a, a depression in high school that I hid, and nobody knew. And I, you know, on the outside, I was doing all the stuff, the cheerleading and the track, and I was a class officer, and I was doing all those things, but inside I was so depressed. And I didn't let in any, you know, anyone in um, on, on, my, on my depression and what was going on in my head. And my mom knew something was wrong. We even went into therapy. And How then they kind of... How did you know something was wrong if you were keeping it and you were the cheerleader and you were getting good grades and doing all this stuff? What gave your mother... How did your mother know? You know, it's inter- it. it it's something that happened at camp. I was, um, you know, I was raped at camp, and I came home that summer, and I was different. And my sister said, Mom, something's wrong with Wendy. And my mom said, okay. And they didn't know what it was, and I didn't say. I didn't say to my best friend. I said it to no one until, like, six years later. I kept it inside. I was ashamed. And they marched us into, my mom's like, all right, so we went to therapy, and then they kind of, since they thought it was me, you know, we went for a couple times as a family, and then they kind of had me go alone. And I was like, wait, where's the rest of the family? What's going on here? And I just stopped going. I thought, it's crock. Why am I the only one here? I didn't realize I needed to be there. So, like, you can even get the right help from your family. You can even be in the right spot, and you can still not get the help you need. You have to be honest, and that's hard. That's, that's really hard. Um, you know, so I think a lot of kids are just... Um, you know, kind of in some kind of a turmoil. Things happen. You don't talk about it. You need to talk about it. That's really important. So the message is, uh, I mean, you got raped at camp. That's a whole, I mean, I mean, is that a result of your being bipolar, or is that, was that just? No, that's a total side issue. And I, I wrote about it in the book, and then I took it out because I felt it was too much of a side issue. But, um but that's what put me into a depression. But did it, you know, it wasn't detected. And um, I think maybe because I was bipolar, I processed it differently and I didn't come out of it, is the point. Like I was in a long-term depression. And it still amazes my mom today. So somebody who has a mental illness, you know, we process things differently. We stay in things longer or shorter. And we have symptoms, but, you know, you can mask those symptoms. And they say, you know, women are more apt to experience depression and, um, you know, and in high school, I would not be surprised at all if, if, um, if there was a statistic out there about um, teenage girls being more depressed um, than teenage boys. I would not be shocked at all. So I guess, you know, in, in, we only have a couple minutes left in the interview, but, Wendy, I guess the message would be um, you're talking about honesty. That word keeps coming up. Don't mask your symptoms, whether it's you, the person themselves, who think they may be suffering from bipolar, or any of your family members. It's all about honesty. It's all about getting, at least getting it out and start talking. And and, so, uh, and then you, yeah, and then you can go from there. That's difficult to do. It's not easy. But um, you've mentioned several resources, and one of the things is <clears throat> obviously your book, because that's your personal story, I'm Not Crazy, Just Bipolar. 
can you you can buy that online bookstores everywhere. Do you have a website, your own website? We can go. I to? do. I have my own website. You can even there's a link to buy it from there. It's it's just my name, wendykwilliamson.com. And um, you know, if you go there, there I'm going to put up some links for resources. Right now, I have on there a little bit about myself, book excerpt. But you can buy the book from my website, or you can go to authorhouse.com. It's also there. Um, and I'm sure if you Google it, you can you can find your way there as well. If you forget everything I just said, <laughs> <laughs> we did. And thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your story, and <clears throat> obviously all the good information as well. Um, and and good luck. You're doing good work. Catherine, thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Don't forget to listen to Don't forget to listen to me tomorrow also on WCDB FM 90.9 or if you're not in New York, you can listen to WCDB.com. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Hope you had a great day here on Voice America. Have a good week and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.